You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Q98 is uh, the 98th question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, composed in 1647. It asks the question, what is prayer? And this is the question that we are trying to answer these three weeks as we study together the first seven chapters of 1 Samuel, the beginning of the book that is 1 and 2 Samuel all together. And you'll see if you're looking at the bulletin on the cover, uh, the answer in full is this, that uh, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confessions of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. This morning, uh, we look at what does it mean that prayer is offered in the name of Christ? Would you pull out your Bible and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 3? And we'll find that on page 215 of the Pew Bible. And our text this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Breaks at the middle of a paragraph there. And uh, if you're able, I would invite you to uh, stand with me and uh, let us read this word of the Lord aloud together. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. So that if you believe it, you may say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. We're reading God's holy word. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time. And he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went up and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. Speak, Lord, for here we are, your servants, listening. Speak your truth, and may it indeed take root in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. It was in a recent uh, edition of the Chronicle of Higher Education that the Jaron Lanier, who is a computer scientist and uh, partner architect at Microsoft Research, suggested that 
Today, perhaps, the critical question for us is not, does God exist? But is, do we exist? Jaron Lanier was giving a lecture recently to a group of students in an auditorium, and he, while he was speaking, looks out over the sea of faces and sees many heads uh, bowed down, and he realizes, while they are listening to me, they are also blogging, networking, and tweeting. And he stops, and he says this, you know, the most important reason to stop multitasking so much isn't to make me feel respected, but to make you exist. If you listen first and write later, then whatever you write will have had time to filter through your brain, and you'll be in what you say. This is what makes you exist. If you are only a reflector of information, are you really there? This is also a reason to pray, to exist. See, what Lanier is saying is that if we just take in mass information and absorb it and repeat it and merely reflect it without passing it through who we are, do we exist? Or are we simply a device networked into a mass fabric of information without any independent being of our own. And you and I know what it's like, the velocity of life these days, constantly on demand, instantly reachable, plugged into the network. And we are not sure that we do exist, but we are just in a hurry. We are in our technology. The problem isn't simply just technology or mass information. Just as in the face of the flow of information, we can lose our identity, so also in the flow of circumstances, in the stream of life as it encounters us, we also can find ourselves absorbed, merely reflecting our circumstances. So, you know, the feeling when your marriage... Uh, is in crisis, which is what it means to be married, by the way. Uh, You feel like you are losing your existence. Do you not? When you are chasing at 120 miles per hour some career aspiration and goal, you just know you need, you begin to wonder after a while, do I? Has my life become the career? Am I in my career and not anywhere else. Or perhaps we lose our job and we feel, yes, our existence seems to be fading away. Maybe we're in retirement. Maybe we're in a relationship or have lost one and feel with that we are losing our very existence. And so I suggest to us that the antidote to this, just as it is for Lanier thought, is for us prayer. Yes, think so that you know your mind exists, but also pray so that you know your soul exists. And it is not absorbed merely by happenstance in the history of your personal life and your family and our nation. No, your soul, which yearns for beauty, which hopes for justice, which loves, which exerts joy, could exert itself, 
could emerge as a real thing in time and space to influence, not just to be influenced by or merely to reflect. So, prayer. Samuel is called uh, to prayer in verse 4. Samuel. Samuel. In so calling Samuel to prayer, the Lord calls him into existence. We know the basic facts of Samuel's life if we've been reading this story so far. We know about his mother, Hannah, and her great, rich prayer life. We, we know about the extraordinary circumstances of Samuel's birth to a barren Hannah. We know that she's dedicated him to the temple. Here's this is actually the tabernacle at this time. It's a tent in Shiloh. It's the central place of worship where Eli, the high priest, has taken him in and put him to work. Uh, but so far, Samuel has not done anything or said anything, and we're not sure he exists until this call. God brings him into existence for us, not only as a person, but here as a prophet, as a great prophet, as the first of the great prophets, Samuel. Such a great prophet he will be that he will have the discernment among all of the Israelites, among all of the brothers of David to say, the Lord has chosen this one to be king. Such a great prophet and counselor to David's predecessor, Saul, that as Saul governs, he utterly relies on everything Samuel says. He's living his life in conversation with the Lord. And so that after Samuel has died, Saul gets so desperate yearning to know what God wants for him, somehow not being able to find that place of prayer in his own life, that he goes to a, a sorcerer to conjure Samuel back from the dead, and to his horror, Samuel comes. So powerful is the life and soul of this man Samuel that at the end of this chapter it says, the Lord was with him and none of his words fall to the ground. He has a potent soul. He has a soul that exerts its own influence on history because he has learned to respond to the invitation to prayer. Samuel, Samuel. That's that double call. It's the double name, and, and it occurs in several places in the Scripture, always with great importance. It's always coming at the kind of the penultimate or critical, if not ultimate, moment in a person's life. The existential moment. It was as he stands on Mount Moriah in the moment he's offering his son Isaac that he hears Abraham, Abraham. It's as he waits in Canaan and is called down to Egypt from which the great redemption of God would bring forth a nation that he hears Jacob, Jacob. It is as he walks through the wilderness and catches a burning bush that is not consumed that he hears Moses, Moses. It's as he rides a horse on the road to Damascus that hears Saul, Saul. And it's as he... It's with Jesus on the night of his betrayal and crucifixion that he hears Simon, Simon. 
this is the moment. The, the call to prayer is the moment, the critical moment that makes us exist, brings reality to our lives as we live in the presence of the one who is existence itself. This is the moment for Samuel. What I find so interesting about this passage is that Samuel misses it. He absolutely misses it. And I know you say, don't be hard on Samuel. Someone said that first. Don't be hard on Samuel. He's just an adolescent. Well, we have pretty high expectations of adolescents around here. Don't be hard on Samuel. You know, the voice sounds like the voice of Eli. And we can come up with all kinds of reasons that he and we miss prayer. But I love Samuel for missing it because I miss it. I don't hear this invitation uh, to prayer in my own uh, soul. And, uh, Samuel, you know, it's this, this uh, summer I was in New York City. I took my family and I wanted them to experience uh, a city that uh, a little different from Seattle. And I, so anyways, I took them right to Times Square. And huge, you know, you've been there, the, the signs that are 10 stories high. And the, so there's this huge jumbotron. And all of a sudden, one of my kids says, Dad, look. And we look up, and there I am. Right in the middle, they've got this camera, and it's me right on the jumbotron. <laughs> A bunch of other people, but there's me right there in the middle of it. And we're waving, and, and we're in the heart of the world right here. It's New York City. It's Times Square. I'm there. And here is Samuel at the epicenter of the universe, the ground of all being, the one who holds time and space, says, this is your time, this is your space. I call you to prayer right now. I'm calling you into existence. And Samuel goes, that's funny. I think I hear a voice. <laughs> and I, you know, and I don't know. He, he's maybe been sleeping. Maybe he's groggy. And what's this? And maybe he's really responsible and when he wakes up he thinks someone's calling me to get back to work start scrubbing the floor check the oil i don't know what he's doing in there but he runs he leaves the sanctuary he leaves that place where his soul was to be filled and goes to his master eli and says you rang and eli says no this is weird this is weird i didn't say anything at all and if it were a weird conversation one time, it gets really creepy weird the second time and the third time. And both of them are starting to get nervous for each other. You know, I don't know if the problem is me or the old man Eli, and I don't know which would be worse, but we got a situation here. But in verse 8, we see that Eli begins to suspect something. He, he, he perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, it's been a long time since there was a, a vision in Israel. It's been a long time in Eli's life since he has heard this call to prayer. But there's something about Eli that gives him the discernment to identify. He says, you know what? I got a feeling this is the call to prayer. And... and and Samuel can't hear it, and so I'm going to give him the prayer that he needs. Let me think of a prayer. What, 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 what would Samuel say in this instance? And he gives him a rote prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's not poetic. It's you know, not particularly fancy. It's simple. It's memorable. So he gives him this a prayer and sends him back. 
What this shows us is that you and I cannot pray. You and I on our own do not know how to pray. Uh, I mentioned last week James B. Torrance. He was a professor from the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. He was also a Presbyterian minister, and he used to come to Los Angeles, travel the world and lecture, but when he was in L.A., he would stay in Newport Beach in a home, and he'd walk the beach in the morning. And He tells a story. This is his book, Worship, Community, and the Triune God of Grace. One day he's walking on the beach, and he sees an elderly gentleman, um, rather distracted and distraught, pacing along the shore. He walks up to him, and he introduces himself to him. And, and the man, when he finds out that uh, Torrance is a Presbyterian minister, uh, is astonished. And he says, how astonishing that I should meet you just now. Torrance uh, explores this a bit and learns that this man has been happily married for 45 years of his life. But now he is in crisis. That wife has just undergone serious surgery, and she is dying of cancer. And this is what he says to James Torrance. He says, I've been walking up and down the streets of Newport Beach at night, desperate, because I do not know how to face the future without my wife and without faith. You see, my father was a Presbyterian minister. And I was brought up in a godly home, but I have drifted away from the church. When you spoke to me, I was remembering how my father was a man of prayer and had a wonderful faith when my mother died. I wish I had that faith. I had been walking up and down this beach trying to pray, but I can't. What would you say to this gentleman in grief, in crisis? Would you tell him, you know, there are a a few basic steps to prayer. It's really rather easy. (laughs) You fold your hands and close your eyes. Oh, but he doesn't need technique. He doesn't need information about prayer. He doesn't need exhortation to pray. He's just told you he can't pray. And so much of our preoccupation with prayer focuses on us and what we do and how we do it. Ought not prayer, when we think about it, motivate ourselves into it, be more about God, the object of our prayer, the one who invites us to prayer? What does he need? Perhaps this man on the beach needs exactly what Samuel needed, which was a priest. Eli's not a perfect priest. We found out he didn't recognize Hannah as praying. We find out as we read the story that he's not been able to even convey his own faith to his sons and maybe hasn't been that interested in doing so. And yet simply because of his office as high priest, something important is happening. You see, he gives the words of prayer to Samuel. 
He offers prayer in Samuel's name. This is exactly what a high priest would do. God wants to hear the prayers of all humanity. He loves humanity as a whole. And so what he's done, this is the whole story of the Bible. So what he has done is he has called a nation Israel to be a priestly people, we read in Exodus 19. Which means Israel is called to pray for all the world, all of creation. I'm blessing you so that you may speak blessing upon all peoples, this whole rich creation. But God knows that Israel would not be able to pray, just as humanity has not been able to pray. And so God says, well, within Israel, I will plant a priestly office. The sons of Aaron, a family within this great family. And the role of that high priest would be to pray on behalf of the nation, who's to pray on behalf of the world. This came to a pinnacle every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And Eli would know how to do this. He would have gathered the tribes around this tent in Shiloh. Wearing his special ephod, he'll go into this tent, which is a temple. He'll come into the first room, the holy place. He sees before him the altar of incense, which, uh, from which smoke rises to the nostrils of heaven, offering the prayers of humanity to the one who loves them. And then he'd move past that, part the curtains, and be in the holy of holies, the, the, the symbolic resting place of the Lord himself. Having offered sacrifice for himself, he offers sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the nation. And he prays on their behalf. And it turns out that Samuel needs an Eli to pray. He needs someone who can give him words when his soul is empty and speechless. And has no response to the one who calls him even in love. You get the impression that this man who's walking on the beach, even if he heard an audible voice, could not offer any response. Neither can Samuel. Well, what does James Torrance say to him? He continues as he describes this story. What did I say to him? Did I tell him how to find faith and how to pray? Throw him back on himself? No, I did not. I said, may I say to you what I am sure your father would have said to you. In Jesus Christ, we have someone who knows all about this. He has been through it all, through suffering and death and separation. And he will carry you both through it into resurrection life. He has heard your cry for faith and is answering. I continued. You have been walking up and down this beach, wanting to pray, trying to pray but not knowing how to pray. In Jesus Christ, we have someone who is praying for you. He has heard your groans and is interceding for you and with you and in you. This is exactly what it means to pray in the name of Christ. It's the good news of Jesus for prayer. that He is our high priest. He has entered into the heavenly tabernacle. 
and even at this moment prays for you. We read in Hebrews that he always lives to make intercession for us. We meet, read in Romans that Jesus who died and raised now sits at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. He is your great high priest. And to pray in the name of Christ is to know that he is praying for you and with you and in you. It, it, you know, just three disclaimers. What it doesn't mean when we say uh, that we are to pray in Christ, it doesn't mean that we are to pray to Christ. And I think many times we think that this is what it means, as though our prayer is a letter that we've just written and we fold it up now and we put it in an envelope and we say at the end, in the name of Jesus. As though that were the address somehow that you know, finds its way to Jesus to answer our prayers, we hope. And it doesn't just mean to pray through Christ, although it's a wonderful insight that we are praying through Christ. Uh, this summer also, I called my father on the phone, and I didn't have my phone handy, so I grabbed uh, Anne, my wife's phone, and called her on her cell phone. I called him on her cell phone. And I didn't even think about it, what I was doing. But when my father answered the phone, there was this delightful, energetic response. And it was, Anne, how great to talk to you. Not that my dad doesn't give me a great response when I call, but he had seen the ID, and he was so excited to hear from his beloved daughter-in-law. And that's what it means to pray through Christ. When the Father hears your voice in prayer, he hears it on the son's cell phone. And he says, my son, and his face lights up. And he's looking at you, and he's listening to you as a daughter or as a son. It doesn't just mean to pray to Christ or through Christ. No, it means to pray in Christ. It means to find our prayer life in Christ, in his prayer life. Like Eli, when we do not have the words to offer in prayer, Christ offers them for us. When we do not have the faith to offer, uh, it's Christ's faith that he offers on our behalf. When we do not have the love of God to which he has called us, Jesus Christ offers his love for the Father on your behalf. Let me make three final observations about praying in Christ. And the first is that prayer in Christ is a Trinitarian See, it's God the Father who calls you. It's Jesus the Son who offers the faithful response in prayer. And it is God the Spirit who forms that response in your life, that you might genuinely grow in your knowledge of God as your loving Father and cry out with the Spirit, Abba, Father. In prayer, we are invited to break into the sacred conversation of the Trinitarian Godhead as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are living in blissful, loving communion with one another. Jesus says, in me, jump in. Get in this conversation. So that when they look at each other, they don't see your sin. They see you in the perfection of Christ. Father loves you just as he loves the Son. The Son loves the Father on your behalf, just as a perfect Son would love a perfect Father. Everything that is theirs is yours. So Jesus would say in John 16, If you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. 
I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, you, because you are in Christ, and he is in you. Prayer is in Christ is Trinitarian. It's what makes it distinctively Christian among all other spiritualities. Secondly, prayer in Christ is grace-motivated. When I cannot pray, it is often because prayer has become for me a duty, an obligation, a task that I must perform uh, for some reason, for some person. And this, uh, I think, is why Samuel misunderstands this call as the call of his master. And the narrator wants us to guess, why is it that the Lord sounds so much like Eli? Does he affect his voice in some way? And Samuel's response is to go and ask, what is it, Master? What is it that you need from me? What has been left undone? What shall I do now? But notice Eli, very subtly but patiently, twice in this chapter, refers to him not as his servant, but his son. My son, I did not call to you. I do not have work for you. And it is precisely that when we see prayer not as a work that we must do, but as a privilege that we may enter into, to know that Jesus is praying for us and with us and on our behalf, and that the Spirit sweeps us up into that conversation that we want to pray. It's our greatest privilege. It's our deepest joy. Second, uh, prayer in Christ is grace-motivated. And finally, prayer in Christ is existentially powerful. There is something about our souls that doesn't just want to work and love and play, but wants to be taken over and be in our work and in our love and in our play, to be absorbed by those. And yet, Praying in the name of Christ allows the soul the strength to exert resistance. There's something that happens in this final scene that's really startling. It surprises Samuel so much it takes him off script. It's not a complicated script. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And yet, notice what he says. He says, speak, your servant is listening. He, 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 he seems... So surprised by something that he can't even but mumble through this little line. And what is it that's happened? Well, I don't know if you noticed this in verse 10. All the other calls were as from afar. Samuel, the Lord called, we are told. But now the fourth time we read this. Now the Lord came and stood there. Here's this boy lying on the ground and he looks up and he sees the Lord in the temple. The Lord is there in this soulish space over Samuel, just as he is in the darkest night of your soul and mine standing over you, praying for you. It's not that we pray to a God who is distant in the heavens. It's that we call to a God and are called by a God who is here with us, near us, in us, substantiating us, establishing our humanity in prayer and offering it for the Father.
So that even when you and I cannot see that we are anything other than in trouble or in grief or in pain or in crisis or simply in a hurry and wonder if with all of that we are losing our existence, his presence reminds us how solid we are. We are not in any of these. In fact, we are already in Christ. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have been invited into your conversation. And so as we speak, we know that you speak with us and within us and sound forth the cry, Abba, Father. We have no standing with you, and yet you stand in us, in Jesus Christ, and in him we are your beloved children. And it is our delight to pray. We know that as we pray, we fulfill your purpose for this creation. As we have been enabled now to pray for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our city, for this beloved planet. We are now enabled in Christ to speak peace. That the expressions and yearnings of beauty and justice and hope and truth may be actualized through our prayers at this time and in this place. Thank you for this grace. It draws us deeper into relationship with you. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.